Thanks for listening to the Steve Mathis Show here, brought to you by folks at Fly Racing, Racer X. I thought I'd just dig through the archives and put up some older shows. I did that with the uh, Team Yamaha one last week or a few days ago, depending on when I put this up. I don't know. Um, so some of the sponsors have changed on these shows over the years, of course. But this one, uh, the current ones, Fly Racing, still involved, by the way, even back in 2014 when this podcast came out. Uh, also, Maxis, Motorsport.com, uh, Rental as well on board. And uh, whoever sponsored this show in 2014, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, man, Brian Fleck, great guy. He's been at Dunlop forever, as you'll hear in this, uh, the amount of races this man has been to. He's probably number one in the pits, and um, he's a really good dude, knows his tires. I want to dig into his career. He's still at the races. It's 2024. This podcast was done in 2014, and Brian Fleck is still going to the races. Uh, really interesting guy, and I uh, love to talk tires with him and dig into it a little bit. So, yeah, I thought I would repurpose this podcast and uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, when I ever listen back to these, I, you know, if I listen to like a five minute sample, God, I, I wasn't very good back then. I mean, you could argue that I'm not very good right now. Sure. All right. But I'm better now than I was in 2014. Let me tell you that as far as interviewing and pausing and all that crap. So, uh, please enjoy Brian Fleck from Dunlop. It's 2014 in this podcast, but it's 2024 now. Brian still grinding away in the trenches. Please enjoy. A Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at BTOsports.com and click the Amazon banner on PulpMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast, BTOsports.com the nation's leading retailer for anything you need for your bike or body, including Dunlop tires. You can use the code PulpMX to save yourself money when you check out there. And, uh, of course, the BTO Sports KTM team with uh, Shorty and Gerke. And uh, all-new website, mobile phone friendly. Presented by Fox Racing, foxhead.com. Brand-new 2015 stuff in, in now, the uh, V4 uh, helmet, the MIPS technology with MIPS technology and uh, Instinct Boots. And uh, airspace goggles, foxhead.com, the, one of the uh, iconic companies in the sport of motocross. And this man on the line probably works for another iconic company in the sport of motocross. He's been going to the races as long as I have been there. Uh, I have seen this guy at the races. He might have the longest consecutive race streak going in the industry. And uh, he's a great guy and always full of information. And I thought that we would get uh, this man on the line to maybe uh, give, give you guys some information and help you out when you're selecting a tire or when you're thinking about putting a tire on. Dunlop Tires, Brian Fleck. Brian, what's up, man? Thanks for doing this. Uh, no problem, Steve. Glad to uh, help out and fill some time. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's all you guys like you are interesting. And behind the scenes, working at the races, and your knowledge is second to none out there when it comes to this kind of stuff. And, and, I, and I always find it interesting to uh you know maybe educate our listeners a little bit on it um 
I guess first of all, uh, how many consecutive races have you gone to? Did you you've missed one? I think right. In I missed one early in like oh um, one or oh two. My son was in the hospital, and I missed a couple of races that year. Okay. Um, so other than that, pretty though. much. So pretty two, much in and out over the years, I've I've been at every one. Two races since when did you start? Uh, I started doing this at uh, 1995. <sighs> two races since 1995. Fleck, that's crazy. Plus, let's not forget his nation's GPs. I saw you at a Canadian National this year, and uh, Minios, uh, Loretta's, all that stuff, right? I, I did. You, I did the amateur stuff until 2010, and then uh, then I started just doing the pro motocross mm-hmm. and the pro off road. Like this past weekend, I went to Unadilla to the uh, the tenth round of the GNCC series. So uh, uh, we have an amateur guy now, Rob Fox, who mm-hmm. uh, takes that off my plate. But uh, for about 15 years, I did both the pro and amateur stuff, so I was pretty much everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's insane. Um, I, I just did the first. I've been doing it since 96. I, I was a mechanic in 96. And this year was my first time going to every single race. <coughs> I've always had riders who are injured or, you know, in the media side of things. I took off a week here and there. Yeah. So uh, I did a complete season for this year for the first time ever. And, Fleck, you've got uh, about 14 of them under your belt. So. It, and it gets busy because we also do testing a lot of times between races. So, uh, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll go to California or go to Florida where a lot of, you mm-hmm. know, the riders spend part of the year. So, uh, yeah. It sometimes I'm going from race to test to another race, and then. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it's good. I mean, you get paid to go to the races, and it's the people are great that we work with. I mean, you know, the, the personalities, and and it, it's kind of a tight knit group. It, it's really nice. Well, and here's another thing that people need to realize too. I'm up uh, eating in the different trucks and hanging out and cracking jokes. You, along with your crew are busting your butts. Uh, the nationals, hundred degree weather, supercrosses. I mean, you're just nonstop just working and again so you're going to the races and it's all cool and everything but it's far from just hang out and watch the races for a guy like you yeah and especially the nationals where you have you know twice as many riders we'll do 300 350 wheel changes in a weekend and an outdoor and in supercross we do 150 maybe 175 um basically with the same guy so yeah we we all want to do a supercross only contract (laughs) really right i know never mind the amount of changes at the nationals it's the weather too and everything man um, yeah, and you know what? The last what? couple of years we've been pretty lucky, I but uh, at Crawfordsville this year it definitely caught us out. Uh, yeah. I don't think anybody was expecting that deluge that we got. I uh, I was actually talking to Jeff Russell on Sunday at the GNCC, mm-hmm. and he was just like, he goes, if it hadn't rained, that track would have been epic. you know. And he's like, yeah. there's just nothing they could do. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Um, and you know what? Again, I do some goggle <laughs> stuff right on the side, and it was a hectic day for me too as a goggle guy helping out the little bit of guys that I have. But I just kept thinking, like, I really can't complain because we used to get hit with one or two mud races a year, bad ones, and it's been a while. So, yeah. you know, really can't complain too much, I guess. No, it's good. Um, you're based in Texas, right? Yeah, I live north of Dallas in mm-hmm. a small town. Um, I just work out of the house. You know, i got a laptop and a cell phone, and yeah. I'm on the road about 210, 215 days a year. So, Jeez. uh there's really no reason to be in an office or anything because I'm mm-hmm. gone most of the time. So yeah. uh, Dunlop's graciously let me work from home and uh, do what I need to do. I got to say, uh, we've been friends for a while. I've known known you for a long time, but I have no idea about your backstory. How does Brian Fleck get into motorcycle racing, and how does Brian Fleck get a job at Dunlop? How does that – what goes on? Take me back in time a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I have 
I've ridden dirt bikes, you know, since I was about 10 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, grew up riding some hair scrambles and flat track. Flat track was my first love. Uh, and then I got out of college. I did three years of college and started working for my dad and said, well, I like making money better than going to college. <laughs> so I worked for my dad for a few years, and then uh, I wanted the company to get big, and he he kind of wanted to go the other way. And I'm like, I'm going to start looking for something. And I just saw an ad in the Dallas paper for a job at Dunlop, and I'm like, well, they're in, you know, motorcycle and mm -hmm. road race, motocross. So I applied, and I actually started in the technical division doing uh, tire analysis on, on failed tires and defective tires. Uh, we got tires back from dealers and distributors, and then we had to analyze them and decide why they failed or if they hadn't failed and there was another issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, It was really interesting, and it helped me learn how the tires are put together, how they right. come apart, you know, uh, all the intricacies of the tires. So uh, it gave me a lot of useful knowledge for the rest of my career. And then uh, there was an opportunity that came up on the motorcycle side and uh, about five years in, and uh, I talked to the guy that was in charge. His name was Pat Logue, and uh, he created a position of, of working with dealers and distributors mm -hmm. uh, just on Dunlop, not really sales, but just getting information and right. you know, making sure that everybody had what we needed, and we got the information we needed from, from the field. And uh, Jumped in with both feet and, uh, you know, started in. Loved it. Um, and did you have to go to Rochester? Did you move to Rochester to do all that? I moved or? to Buffalo. We Buffalo, were there yeah, about yeah. three and a half years Sorry, yeah, uh, at home office. But I was actually working out of Texas at that time. I started with Dunlop in Texas. Uh, and so then uh, I had the opportunity to move to headquarters, which at that time okay. was in Buffalo. Right. I spent about three years doing that. Um, and while I was doing that job, I was also uh, helping Jim Allen do the road race stuff. So I spent four years doing uh, road race support with our, our road race manager, Jim Allen. And uh, I, Jimmy's a Canadian uh, like you, and uh, he actually uh, he taught me a lot about how to deal with riders and teams and, mm -hmm. and stuff. Uh, I mean, tires are different, but, I mean, a lot of what we had to do in road race was a lot of what I had to do in motocross. And, I mean, he, he really helped me so that when I went on my own on the motocross side, I, I had a lot of valuable uh, knowledge from him. The, did you did you do you said dirt track was your love did you moto at all or was it just dirt track I never or? really motoed no. I just wasn't it just wasn't where I was from we mm -hmm. didn't really do that mm -hmm. uh, I went to some motocrosses we loved it we always went to Houston and Dallas Supercross and right. stuff but uh, uh, I never really rode it I probably ridden it twenty times in my life oh okay yeah. did, did a lot of hair scrambles and like I said my my mm -hmm. real love was flat track and I still try to do that a couple times a year but it's uh, it's getting harder to find time every year. We used to have a little flat track in Canada where we would go on Wednesday nights and take our moto bikes and uh, and do flat track. It was pretty fun. But man, your your left hand, your left leg gets really tired. <laughs> yeah, so. you know, in Texas used to be a hotbed for it. In the mid to late eighties, you could race, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, and mm -hmm. Sunday. Kind of like motocross was in a lot of parts of the country, but you could ride in Texas and Oklahoma, and and you could find a race, two or three races a week, you could run. And then it just little by little it started. You know, you had to drive farther and farther to find a place to race. Um, and then, so how do you go from uh, helping at the road races and doing uh, tire fail uh, development to being uh, the moto guy at the weekends in '95? Um, Frank Stacy, who was a uh, probably one of the, the first guys in motocross, the, they always call him the tire guru. He was uh, he was leaving and he was kind of wanting to do his own thing, so he was leaving Dunlop. And uh, I talked to the, the vice president then, and he knew my background and stuff, and mm -hmm. he said he would give me a shot at it. And uh, so I uh, 
got a box full of files from Frank and uh, pretty much was told, here you go. Oh, wow. And I had to learn from the ground up. Uh, I didn't <laughs> like work with him for any amount of time. Or, yeah. I mean, the day I started was the day he was leaving. So yeah. um, I, I kind of learned a lot on my own, but a, a lot of people like uh, Mike Gosler and Skip Norfolk with, mm-hmm. were with Honda then. And uh, they were our top team then. We didn't have all the teams like we do now. And mm-hmm. uh, those guys were really instrumental in helping me to learn how to deal with the riders and personalities and stuff. And, you know, in road race, it's all about the stopwatch. You know, yeah. how, whatever's the fastest tire is what they're going to run. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in motocross, it's, it's a little more subjective about, you know, the guy, how it feels or how consistent it is. Can they do 30 minutes the same lap times with the yeah. tire or the shock or whatever? So those guys right away, Skip and Mike, helped me figure out that, you know, lap times are important, but they're not everything when you're chasing setup and design and development. Yeah, like so as a as a first year guy, you show up and McGrath, Jeremy McGrath, and Doug Henry, Factory Honda. These are these are names. Or were you a little intimidated? Were you a little like, oh man, like was it or was it a natural? Thing? A little bit. I yeah. mean, because a lot of those guys, uh, I remember working with you know just Stanton and Bradshaw a little bit, and uh, mm-hmm. you know they were at the tail end of their career, but. Uh, right. uh, those guys were guys I had had watched when I was younger, you right, know, and, right. and uh, you know, Damon was a favorite, I think, of most people's, and, and to actually get to work with him, uh, I always tell a story that I think was pretty cool. At High mm-hmm. Point one year, the year he rode for Manchester Honda, and he battled with Larry Ward for mm-hmm. the win in that, that mud fest, yeah. I hand-cut a front, took a front tire and modified it for him, and uh, and he won that day, and he was, like, so thankful, you know, that we had modified a tire for oh, him. Oh, cool. Uh, him and Angela put my wife and my young son in, in their hauler because back then we did we had a semi, but it was just you know a, a straight van, not yeah. a not like we have now. And, and Dame was like, "Hey, your wife and your son, they can just hang out in the Manchester truck all day." And you know, it was just oh, really cool. Yeah, and yeah. Damon and Angela were just like, you know, they took us in. It was like it was really cool, but it was really nice to like make something that somebody actually goes out and wins a race on. You know, and right. it was just Damon was really appreciative, and it, it was just. He was one of the people I was really close with throughout, you know, the tail end of his career. Yeah, and, and that, that team was sort of built around Damon, and, uh, yeah, it was a nice comeback. <laughs> Although I was at that race. I lost my shoes down in the mechanics area. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if a front tire, no matter how it was cut, helped that much, Brian. <laughs> but, hey, whatever. You know, it's funny. I mean, you were there. It rained all day. Oh, I mean, it was... rained all day long. Yeah. And uh, that night we went back to the, uh, the hotel in Morgantown, and, and my son and I, we stripped down to our underwear because I'm like, I'm not walking in the hotel with this mud all over right, us. Right, right. And my wife was just dying, and I'm like, I think they'd appreciate us more walking in our underwear <laughs> than bringing all our muddy clothes into the hotel. I, I, had a, uh, I had a Sunday night flight back to Canada to go see my family. I was working for uh, Birdwell, and yeah. uh, I left everything in the van. You know, I tried to clean it up as much, best I could. I left it in the Pittsburgh parking lot in the long-term parking for two weeks. I came back, I opened the back up, and I, I almost died. I just, the smell and the rank, and I just, oh, yeah. oh it was so bad. It was unbelievably muddy. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you're, you're now you're, so you're working and uh, for Dunlop, and now, you know, you're basically uh, helping these guys choose their tire selection. And along the way, um, the production Dunlops are getting better and better, and you guys are pushing out new models. How much... Does and even today you can you can equate this to today. How much does the racing guys, the top level guys, affect the production stuff of what you're seeing? I mean, obviously we had the race replicas for a little while, but uh, um, how much does it help the production stuff? 
A lot. It's actually gotten way closer. I mean, the gap between a works tire and a production tire has narrowed significantly in the last 10 years. Kind of like the production bikes are, you know, better now than they were, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago compared to the works bikes. And, and tires have kind of come the same way. Um, and the more teams that we've worked with, the more we've learned about our tires and constructions and stuff to actually make them more versatile and work on, a, you know, a wide variety of bikes and rider styles. So mm-hmm. having access to, you know, the, you know, 85% of the top riders out there uh, has helped, helped us improve the performance of our production tires as yep. well as our race tires. Um, I always tell people now that, you know, when I first started, you know, the first 10 years of doing this, we used to groove a lot of tires. I mean, mm-hmm. you know that. Yeah. Uh, you groove tires for every different kind of condition. We don't groove tires anymore. I yeah. mean, they're good, they're good the way they are. There's no reason to groove them. So, I, I mean, the tires have improved a lot, you know, from – from the Ryan Villapotos and Ryan Dungies right down to, to the guy walking into his, uh, mm-hmm. to his dealer and buying the tires off the shelf. Um, a few years ago, I think 2010, 2009, Bridgestone, which, I mean, <clears throat> for years and years, it was Bridgestone and Dunlop, and, and you, you guys fought it out for tire supremacy. Uh, they had Kawasaki and Yamaha. You had uh, Honda um, and maybe Suzuki at some point. Um, Suzuki off and on, and we had yeah. KTM, Yamaha K- Troy. Right. So it was always like this big battle between you guys. And, and folks, uh, for people who are listening, like the tire business is competitive. There's no doubt. So Bridgestone pulls out. Um, you guys get basically by default, you know, the teams come to Dunlop and Correct. they say, hey, help yeah. us out. How much yeah. did that stress you out, affect your workload, help or hurt everything? I mean, you know, in talking to the different tire guys, including yourself over the years, like the different bikes – the different frame constructions, the different uh, uh, frame geometries affect the tires. So in a way, like you, you were developing this tire that worked really well on a Honda, and now Kawasaki and Yamaha are like, hey, we need Dunlops now because Bridgestone's gone. And talk about that switch and how gnarly that must have been for you. It, it actually made us change the direction of the way we were building our tires. The Honda chassis at that time was way different than everybody else's as far as mm-hmm. stiffness and flex. Um, and we ran a stiffer tire with them. And, but when we got with Cowie and Yamaha, we figured out we had to go to a softer tire. And they actually, at that time, picked our softest carcass tire that we had, which was a 762, which most guys are familiar with in the paddock, uh, because it was the plushest tire we had, where Honda never ran that tire that much before. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, since then, having access to all the teams and riders, uh, We've just got so much more feedback and testing information that, you know, we've changed our tires so much since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it was a lot more workload because before oh, where I, I was bet. testing with three or four teams, you know, now with, with the satellite teams, we were testing with 10 or 12 different teams, you know, three or four riders on each team. For some years now the teams have kind of pared back down to a couple, mm-hmm. you know, on, on the, the 450 teams, not so many riders. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was a lot of work, but, I mean, we learned a lot uh, about tire development and, we kind of went a different direction what we had yeah. been, you know, prior up to 2009 to start of 2010. Yeah, people don't realize that, uh, um, you know, Ryan Villapoto's tire is not the same as Ryan Dungey's tire. It's uh, it's a race spec, but it's built for a Kawasaki or built for a KTM or whatever. People don't understand that. Yeah, the last couple of years, it's we've tightened it up on yep. – a lot of the guys are running the, almost, the exact same tire, but there's still sometimes a few differences, more on front tires than rear tires. Mm-hmm. Um some guys want a really, really stiff front tire that they don't get any flex or any roll out of, and then some guys want a little more plush, you know, a little better damping. Um, but on the rear tires the last few years, most guys, there's two or three patterns, but they 
they pretty much all run the same construction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the bikes have gotten, you know, a little closer, I think, yeah. in, in how they all handle. Yeah, so. yeah, I think so. Um, so you show up to test with Chad Reed, the Monster Kawasaki team. And I was with Chad at Yamaha, and he loved Bridgestones. And he was very vocal about Bridgestones for a year yep. or two. How, how much of an, I don't want to use the word nightmare, but how much of a nightmare was it trying to get Reed happy? He was difficult to please, but <laughs> the one thing about Chad is he's a really, I, I think he's a really good tester. Yep. And that he knows what he wants. And it may not work for everybody else, but it works for him. Yeah. And what he likes isn't what other guys liked. So right. he didn't. He didn't help us make a tire that was better for Dungy or Villapoto or <laughs> right. Roxon, but we were able to finally make a couple tires for Chad. Um, we had a couple tires that only Chad ran. Other people had access to them, yep. but, I mean, they didn't like them, so they didn't use them. But Chad ran a, a rear tire that nobody else ran but him by his yep. choice. Yep. Um, and once we kind of found a couple things that worked with him, uh, you know, it, it was better. But it took a lot of time, and... Um, Chad, I give Chad a lot of credit. He was always open. I mean, we would call mm-hmm. and say, hey, we got eight tires to test. And Chad's like, come on out to Florida. We'll get it done. I mean, right. he would fit us in. You know, he, he would upset his normal routine to get the testing done. Uh, he was really good to work with that way. But um, it, it definitely, he, he really liked the Bridgestones, and it took him a couple years to get some stuff yep. that uh, he would have confidence in. You know, it's with bike setup, too. I mean, it's the riders have to have confidence, which takes time. You know, riding a setup or riding a tire, um, it's all about confidence that they can pin it, you know, and know what that tire or mm-hmm. that chassis suspension is going to do, you know, for, for 35 minutes consistently. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real uh, science behind this, uh, getting tires built and making them work for, like we said, each brand and each rider, you know? Yeah. Um, hey, something uh, uh, talking about, too, um, uh, 19, I don't know what year it was. Maybe it was 2000. 2001 when Carmichael ran the Bridgestone at Minneapolis my god did that rock the pits Brian it was his first year in Honda <laughs> okay so it would have been 2001 yeah. 2001 um yeah. what was that like what happened uh, uh I you know talk about the the the, the uh, reverberation he was he thought that the um the Bridgestone had a little better performance than us yeah especially in the whoops and so at Minneapolis, they tested what we thought was our best tire at that time and then mm-hmm. a Bridgestone that they had, and they thought there was Bridgestone was better. So they went ahead and ran it. As you know, we ground the Bridgestone off the sidewall, so there was no marking on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't put Dunlop on it, but we, we took you know ground off the Bridgestone. But a lot, a lot of guys knew what it was. Yeah. So then the next week, we went to Florida and tested with Ricky, and we actually tried a 756. Uh, a different spec that we hadn't he hadn't really tried the 56 much because that wasn't really a supercross tire for us mm-hmm. most guys were running different tires in supercross and so we kind of just brought you know to tallahassee everything we had yeah. available to us and he loved the 56 so we had japan air freight some of those to the next race which was new orleans mm-hmm. And he tried the Bridgestone one practice and the Dunlop 756 the next practice. Mm-hmm. And he said he wanted to see which one he could get the best start with. And he tried the Bridgestone and he tried the Dunlop and he said he got a better start with the 56. And then he was on 56 the rest of the year. But uh, and and then we you know then we started developing the 756 right. for him some different constructions and compounds and we in you know his second year he was really comfortable and happy with our stuff. Um, but Ricky was all about 
like he didn't care about side grip. All he cared about was <laughs> forward drive. Right. Because, you know, he grabbed when he turned the throttle on it was, you know, all the way on. Right. So he's like, I don't care about side grip. I don't care if it slides going into the corner. All I care about is when I grab the throttle, I'm going forward. <laughs> uh, so, but once we did that, I think he was happy and right. uh, he loved. 56 was one of the best start tires we ever had. I mean, we had more hole shots with that tire at every level of competition. Mm-hmm. And and he when he grabbed onto that tire, he ran it in every Supercross, every outdoor except Southwick. I mean, he he was just hooked on that tire. I would argue, and that's where the race yeah. replica actually came from. Oh, doing okay. those with Ricky, then the next, you know, in 2003, we launched the 756 race replica, Racer. which was derived from Ricky using that tire. I would argue Ricky's whoop performance was not due to the tire. It was due to having uh, no travel and uh, no rebound, and it would pack halfway through the whoops. But that would be yeah, just the me. chopper. He definitely had the chopper <laughs> bike for a while. Uh, I would say to him that, that it, you got a lot more problems in the tire with that setup yeah. right there. I mean, it cornered great. The corner awesome, yeah. but uh, anyways, because uh, I remember we used to watch him, you know, on video at Yamaha, and we'd be like, look at this guy. He is on the verge of dying every single whoop section, you yeah. know, but uh, man, that would have been a big deal. But hey, on the flip side, so James Stewart signs with JGR and runs and uh, their, their contract with Pirelli's and James practices and I think races with the Dunlop at, at one of the Anaheim's and the first uh, Anaheim. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that's another – so you were on the opposite side of that where you're caught into this game of, you know, um, a guy switching to your tire instead of switching off of your tire. But uh, funny funny politics and those things. And a lot of it's just what you're used to. I mean, James mm-hmm. was used to our tire at that time, and Pearlie was, you know, new to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, by the halfway through that season, I mean, he was comfortable with the Pirellis. Uh, you know, it's, they make good tires, too. And, I mean, they're, they're really aggressive now, and they're pushing their development. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said earlier, I mean, the tire, the tire industry is really competitive in the paddock. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, one of the things when, when Bridgestone went away and, uh, and we Pirelli has JGR and has BTO sports among others. And I think that's, uh, might be their two major teams. Um, one of the things when Bridgestone went away that I heard from different people and it's turned out to be a complete fallacy is that Dunlop won't care about their product anymore. Dunlop's not going to put R and D into it. They have all the teams. They have all the riders basically. Um, but that's, that's been long proven to not have been true. You guys, uh, according to talk in me talking to different riders over the years that, uh, that love the Bridgestones and no tires, uh, you guys have really made some huge strides and huge improvements in your tires. Again, you have most of the tires, you, you sweep the podium most weekends. You don't need to put that kind of money and R and D into it, but you are. Yeah. I mean, we really are. The U.S. is our focus on, on tires. Mm-hmm. Um, we're the largest, you know, aftermarket seller of tires in the U.S. We're the only company we build we build uh, road race tires in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, this is this is where we push the hardest. And I've been blessed that Japan has been, you know, very willing to help us spend a lot of money, a lot of effort, and resources to keep developing, you know, new and better tires. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you'll you. I'm sure you've talked to people about our new MX, their new MX, the best part we've ever had. And it's because we've continued to push the envelope on development at the race level, and that carries over into the production stuff. But uh, sometimes I think, I'm sure some of the riders like Dungey, who's a test horse for me, mm-hmm. uh, he'll tell you we have too many tires to test. But uh, <laughs> Dunlop Japan's been very helpful, and, and they've continued pushing the envelope for sure. And, yeah. and, and actually Pirelli coming in and being aggressive the last year and a half in the, 
in our industry has you know, definitely kept the fire going in Japan. But, right. You know, we're going to keep getting better and better. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, I don't know. I think you and I have talked about this. I know we have. We have for sure talked about this at the races. Uh, David Villeman, former factory rider, uh, Yamaha, comes up to the Pulp Show. And, uh, and there is a trend lately of guys running sand tires no matter what uh, in Supercross. Um, the uh, 32, right, is, what, they've been, is yes. what they run. And DV just thinks this is ridiculous and he can see it and how is it, it going to work. And, but what, so what is going on with these riders and their tire selections? We asked James Stewart about it one time and he said he switched because he saw Ryan Villapoto had it on. And so yes. that's what riders do, you know. Um, but we'll talk well, the, about the this more new open trend. tread pattern is usually a little bit lighter weight because mm-hmm. there's not quite as much, you know, rubber knob on the on the tire. But we've been able to improve the compound performance and the carcass performance, where you can make that soft terrain tire work into a wide range of conditions. And mm-hmm. in Supercross, the last couple of years, what we've seen is the worst the track is is in the last qualifying session in the afternoon. Right. Then they groom it. Sometimes they water it, but they always groom it knock all the loose stuff back down out of the, the bowl turns in the 180s. And so it's actually kind of a loose cushion in the heat races. So a hard-packed tire wouldn't be best in that condition. And it gets a little more hard-packed and polished as the night goes on, but mm-hmm. the tracks aren't quite as hard-packed and blue-groove as they were, you know, three, four, five years ago. So we've been able to run a more intermediate to soft terrain tires. And the riders love the performance on the starts because those tires are really good on start. Yep. Straight grip is really good. And like I said, they're, they're lightweight, and they have really good dampening. They feel plush, and, and you know, it's, we've been surprised. But, I mean, that's the direction we've been going for sure. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So this, this is a surprise to you. If someone had said to you, hey, Brian, in, in two years, if someone had said to you in 2010, hey, Brian, in four years, all the top riders are going to be running this 32, you would have said, no way. Right? Yeah, I mean, before 2010, we ran a lot of more hard-packed tires, and we groove them and cut mm-hmm. them and do a bunch of stuff. And then we started running the more open patterns. They damped better, and they were less weight. And, you know, the factory guys are, you know, a pound difference in tires, big to them. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we started going that direction, and we got to where we could get the durability and the performance uh, to come up with that a little more open pattern. And uh, we've just kept going down that road, and it works, and they like it. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit lighter steering. The cornering's a little easier. I think you lose a little bit of ultimate grip, like leaned over at angle on blue groove. Right. But most of the guys steer with the back end. I mean, Villapoto is the best example. I mean, that back end is always coming around, and and that's what he's using to to get the bike turned quick, is to let the back end come around. A little less grip is better for him. Yeah, you see that the the, the shots from the photographers, I mean, they're running low air pressure, and the thing is almost looking like it's coming off the rim on sometimes. Like, like there's some shots from Phoenix, for example, where you're like, holy crap, but... Clearly, the way the guys are going, they're all picking this. It's all working. So, yeah. I mean, do you have any sort of holdouts that, that say, I don't want that thing? Pretty much everybody ran it. Um, there were a couple of races this year. We ran the, the MX-52 race spec tire, but um, mm-hmm. Phoenix was one. I mean, Phoenix was just extremely dry and hard this year. But right. um, almost all the other races, like I said, the tracks get a little more looser. Yeah. Not deep like, you know, Red Bud no, loose, yeah. but... Uh, just a little bit of loose cushion on top of the hard base, and and the immediate to soft terrain tires just work really good on that stuff. Do you miss the days, Brian, where your opinion and your your grooving and your work uh, in picking a tire for a rider for an outdoor national really mattered? Is it now pretty much nowadays? I mean, they're all d- dissed and tilled and watered like crap. You pretty much run the same same setup, right? Most of the guys do, and like I said, a lot of that's confidence. They're just used to what those 
what that setup does mm-hmm. in the morning when it's a little wet and, and deep, and then by the second moto when you know they're still putting a little bit of water down and it's it's a little more hard packed. They're just can they know what those tires do on every condition. Mm-hmm. Front tires will change up a little bit, but most of the time the guys ninety percent of the time they're running the same back tire all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a different world now than it used to be. Yeah, you know, different. And I don't miss grooving the tires. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of nice to have that feeling that right. hey, I, I helped you know I helped Wyndham win a race or I helped Villapoto win a race, but uh, mm-hmm. I like that we can run an off the shelf tire and win. I mean, it's it's. Yeah. It's yeah, a good feeling. Uh, the race replica is no longer sold, right? No, uh, it didn't. Yeah, what we didn't sell as many as we thought because mm-hmm. of some of the materials in it. It was, you know, thirty, forty percent higher than a normal production tire at that right, time, right. and the people just didn't want to pay for the performance. Yeah, so. yeah, it's not, that's not surprising because when you when you talk to gear guys or pipe guys, the, the, the number one sellers are the, are the ninety nine dollar boots or the uh, one ninety nine aluminum slip on. You know what I mean? That's what customers yeah. buy. That's what happens. I mean, it's, it's we see a lot of like privateer guys that we try to help as much as we can, but you know they spend all their money to get to the race and and they don't have the money to buy a new tire. Yeah, um, which might help them make the main event or, or get into the night program. I remember we went to Seattle a couple of years ago, and, and a privateer guy from California had MX seventy ones or hard pack tire on it with a mud race. Yeah, yeah. I said, how come you didn't you know come get some thirty ones? Yeah. And he's like. You know, I spent five hundred dollars in gas to get up here. Yeah. He goes, I don't. I barely got enough money to get back to California, and I'm like, holy! It's like, I mean, yeah. On that kind of track, it makes a difference if you're going to make it in or not. Yeah, you're going to. I mean, you're going to make five hundred more dollars. So high now, the privateers can't afford to get new tires. They they buy what little race gas they can, and mm-hmm. you know, wear um, one or two sets of gear for the whole year and stuff. Where do you draw the line on who gets free tires and who doesn't? They're sort of unofficial lines here and there or, or things like in that. In Supercross, we try to help all the guys making the mains. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure, top 15, but in Supercross, because it's 22 guys, we try to help them with a, at least one tire if we can't give them two tires. Right. Uh, the guys making the, the mains. Um, and outdoors, it, it's around top 20 we try to help if they're yeah. on our stuff. And if they and guys that are working with us every week and buying tires, you know, I'll try to give them a set of tires every couple of races if we can or, or yeah. give them some takeoffs to help them out. I mean, because we know it's it's tied out there, and I mean, I want to sell tires because at the end of the day, that's what Dunlop's here to do is, right. is to sell product in in the marketplace. But you know, in the paddock, you know, my company's been very grateful to to let us give out a lot of product and help a lot of people. Right? Yeah, yeah. You got to draw the line somewhere for sure. And, and you know how it is—you give away one product, that means you got to sell ten of them yeah. to make it balance out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, like, uh, not to be too harsh, but. You know the guys who are selling you tires that are promoting Dunlop. They're they're on the box or getting on TV, and you know yeah. it's it's one of those things. Um, uh, and on the flip side of making somebody happy, Brian, um, most guys run mooses um, nowadays, but some guys run tubes. And there's when you have an accident, when you have a flat, it doesn't happen very much, especially. I would say maybe one percent of all the tires you've done, but sometimes, hey, we're all human. Mistakes happen. One of your guys makes a mistake. That's that's a bad feeling, huh? Yeah, I tell you, the worst one was uh, when McGrath was on uh, the Suzuki of Troy deal, which mm-hmm. was ninety seven. Ninety seven, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he yeah. got a flat at Charlotte in the right. main event yeah. while he was leading, and he finished eighth. Um, and we actually went to where he got the flat, and there was a, a piece of metal sticking out of the berm. Uh, 
Oh, it's sliced and even the if he'd had a moose, yeah. I don't. It would have cut the moose so bad. I don't know what he. But he, we ran double rim locks in that wheel, and he was able to finish the race. I think he finished eighth, I believe. I think he did, yeah. Uh, but he was leading at the time, and yeah. he could have won it. Yeah. But it's funny, and this isn't this. Uh, you can imagine being a goggle guy, but a lot of people have blamed his loss of the title in that race, even though the first race, him and Steve Lanson crashed, and he got last. Yeah. You know. Or or he was all alone in front in Pontiac. I believe yeah. all alone and dumped it, which is so weird. Yeah. Weird to him. Yeah. Know? So a lot of people have said, "Oh, if he hadn't got that flat at Charlotte," mm-hmm. and I'm always like, "Well, he lost a heck of a lot more points <laughs> at the first race when he finished last, yeah, because him and Lansing, you know, crashed early in the race, right? Then he did at Charlotte, but you know, by Charlotte he was in the middle. You know, he had was right there in the title chase with Emig. So yeah. it's just funny, but it was you know at the time it was and Honda was really really good about it because they didn't want to run Moose there and stuff and. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just one of those things that's happened. Right. Um, yeah. No. It, 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 these things go on. No doubt about it. Um, hey, in your experience, um, what are some of the common customer uh, <coughs> myths about tires? What are some of the guys that you talk to at these dealer shows or at the races? What are they doing wrong, or what do you recommend? Would be a the number one. The biggest one thing. we see is air pressure, which yep. is the easiest thing to fix. Um, they don't check their air pressure often enough. Right. It, to me, it would be the last thing I do before I took the bike off the stand to roll down for practice or qualifying is I'd reset that air pressure. Right. Um, you always want to set it when it's cold. We know it's going to go up a couple pounds, but mm-hmm. it, it varies. Even we use nitrogen at the races because it's it's a little drier and more consistent. Right. But even with nitrogen, you still get you know growth and expansion when the tires get hot. So you know when the tire cools back down, you want to reset the pressure. Um, that's one of the biggest things, and, and that and buying a decent pressure gauge. Um, you know, you're a mechanic. You know how important good tools are. Yeah. I mean, a good tire gauge is vital to uh, getting yeah. the accurate pressure in that tire so you know what you have. No, yeah, um, yeah. The, the little $10 ones don't cut it. They don't work No, there's some good digital gauges. Motion Pro has one. We use a Long Acre, we use a Long Acre Racing one. It, it's from the NASCAR guys and we also use some of the motion pros mm-hmm. but a, a good digital gauge is going to cost you over 100 bucks but it'll last you a long long time yeah and it's well worth the investment for sure um the other thing we get sometimes is people argue with us about on especially on a more hard pack track of starting with a new tire or used tire some people think that the used tire is better because yep. it's not a sharp edge it's rounded back it's broken but i mean we've tested many many times and mm-hmm. For three or four laps, the difference in handling and performance of a new tire versus a tire with five or ten laps on it, it's noticeable. Even the new fi- tire is better. Even, even five or ten laps, huh? That's all it takes. Yep. Wow. I mean, yep. we have our test track in Alabama, and we've tested it. Any, we've tried you know, a new tire versus a, a tire with five laps on it or ten laps on it, and pretty much for the first four or five laps of a tire that's got like 10 or 15 laps on it, mm-hmm. a new tire, those four Four or five laps is, is a huge difference. Wow. Huh. I, didn't, I wouldn't think so. Ask Chad Reed about that. Chad will tell you that a, a new tire is better pretty much every time, and that he can tell a difference five or six laps how the carcass starts breaking in. Yeah, it's crazy what these guys can do. And uh, yeah. let's, let's touch that, on... To me, the, the air pressure is critical, mm-hmm. and the other thing is, like, I, I mean, I want my new tires on for the heat race in the main event. I wouldn't want them on for qualifying or that. Um, it's important to get in, but you're probably, you know, yeah. especially in Supercross, you're going to make the night show anyway most of the time right. uh, if you're, you know, decent. But, I mean, I would want a new tire for the main event if at all possible. Um, yeah, and, and would you record? so do you tell uh, all your uh, normal, regular buddies to go out and buy the MX-32s no matter what? 
sometimes. I mean, it's just <laughs> we've seen a lot of guys run some 52s, especially on the rears, yeah. um, because they'll last a little better on hard pack, especially practice conditions. Right. Uh, you know, the California tracks like Milestone and, and Elsinore and, and uh, uh, the other tracks. They get pretty burned out and dry late in the day, and right. the 52 will last a little bit longer on those conditions. But most of the time at the races, the guys are buying 32s, and, and they love the way they work. Right, right. Uh, let's get more into that when we uh, take a commercial. After this commercial break, we'll take one right now on the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Use the code PulpMX to buy yourself some Dunlops at BTOSports.com and Foxhead.com. Go there. Also, listen to this Race Tech commercial. Use the code PulpMX14 to save yourself money at Race Tech uh, to get more better suspension work, uh, which will allow your tires to hook up. And we'll be right back with Dunlop Tires, Brian Fleck. BTOSports.com, RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Hey, I want to talk about privateers and what they choose for suspension. Yeah, that's right. Some of the top privateers, most of the top privateers out there, choose Racetech. Long been supporting the world's fastest privateer since 1984. Michael Lieb, Vince Freeze, Chris Blows, Cody Gilmore, and many other guys uh, choose uh, Racetech suspension. And they've been around a long time. And their, their work stands for itself. Don't forget, people, at least uh, change your oil in your new bike. And use Racetech to do it. Some of that stock oil isn't that good. Uh, Racetech's the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company. 30 years they've been supplying racers, riders, and tuners with the industry's best suspension products. Paul Fee, the owner of Racetech, one of the smartest guys out there, and uh, the creators of the do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Racetech.com for a full listing of suspension parts, tools, and information. Racetech. Go there. Make your bike handle better. Do it. Racetech.com. Thanks for listening. All right, we're back here on the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Brian Flex on the line from Dunlop. Brian, um, what, uh, what happened to 90 fronts? When I was a mechanic, those were all the rage. They seemed to be going away. Yeah, what we noticed last year at the first of the year when we, they went to, a lot of the guys went to the Air Forks, that all of a sudden that they didn't want to use a 9090, that it was too much tire mm-hmm. for that setup. Um, Dean Wilson ran a 9090 the first couple races this year on the West Coast, and then he went back to an 80. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple privateer guys. Mitchell Oldenburg loves the 9090, yep. but that's, there's only a couple guys running them now. Most of the guys yeah. with, with the new forks and stuff, the 80 seems to work better. Uh, have good grip, but also a little easier steering. The 9090s were a little heavier and a little more steering effort, you know, especially if it was loose. Yeah. But uh, pretty much now, everybody's back on the 80s. And by 90, we're talking about the sidewall height, people. Um, so that's what that's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, the uh, what happened to 20 inch front tires? I had one <laughs> um, when I worked for Nick Way. We had one. He liked it. And I put one on my own personal bike back then, and I thought it was awesome. I really noticed a difference in dampening. more Like, it made my forks work better. Uh, it was way plusher tire. Right. So yeah. what happened to the 20? It was a really big, heavy tire, and people mm-hmm. tended just to go away from it. Yep. And I think if it would have ever come OE on the bikes, it might have pushed the issue. Right. I don't know if you remember the 15-inch rear wheel on mini bikes. No, no, before my time. Yeah, we had a, it was probably 10 years ago we had a 90-90 15-inch rear. Okay. And it was a little bit taller than the 14 that comes on the 85 now. 
and it was so much better in, in whoops uh, and in big whoop, uh, holes and, and yep. braking bumps because it was a little bit bigger and had less movement and didn't drop in as far. But it never was OE. It was only an optional part. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we sold maybe three or 400 of those, and then we had like you know, 2,000 <laughs> of them sitting in our warehouse for five years we right. couldn't get rid of. But um, Greg Albertine loved the 20-inch. Yep. Uh, he was one of the guys who loved it and used it most places. Tortelli used it quite a bit. Morocco loved but, it too, but I think that was a Bridgestone. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, but some of the Honda guys were running 18-inch rears with the 20 because the 20-inch front would overpower the 19-inch rear. Oh, okay. And the 18-inch rear had a little better grip, but it was a little bouncy and it was lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Honda ran them, they ran the, the 18-inch rear with it for almost a full year. Outdoors. Oh, I didn't know the, with 18, the 20-inch front. Yeah, I didn't know the 18 made a comeback. I didn't know that. Yes, just for that one year with Honda, nobody else ran it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, but the 18 was heavier and it had too much movement in it. You know, it was a little too bouncy. The 19 is a lot more stable and plusher right. and doesn't move around as much. You know, with the high speeds and, and yep. the choppy stuff. But uh, the 20-inch actually worked really, really good. It was just a lot of guys complained that, it, and it, it messed up the front end. You know, you had to change the fork height and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't want to do that because then you're then it messes up the the, the shock and the ride height and it was you know right. it wasn't just as easy as bolting the twenty inch front wheel on and, and yeah. taking off right. Um, what's been the best innovation in tire technology since you started? What what do you think's really made a big difference? Probably just different carcass materials, different carcass designs has improved. Yeah, and helped the damping and and. That the you know the tire stays connected to the ground better. Right. Uh, we played around with tubeless stuff mm-hmm. uh, years ago. Uh, we've actually we made tubeless tires for motocross, but you actually have to run a different wheel. Uh, it has to have we call it the hump wheel in it yeah. to run the tubeless. The tubeless tire is a little bit heavier than the than the non tube uh, than the tube type tire. Right. So, kind of what you would save by not running the tube you gained back in weight because the tire had to be a little bit heavier mm-hmm. to, to get the same performance. Um, but I just think that we're able to, to make the tires work so much better now because of the carcass designs and, and materials that we've running. Uh, the tires just stay you know, connected to the ground so much better than they did 10 years ago. I would say, and maybe, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe this is something that's really common and, and, and done over and over, but I know when I was a mechanic, one of the things was like dual compound knobs where the top half is is pretty soft and then the bottom is a stiffer. Um, that kind of helped, huh? We've played around with that some, but right now our production tires are all single compound. Okay. Um, we've made, we found some – we've uh, changed the sidewall compound of the tire. Uh, our new tires actually have an anti-rebound rubber in the sidewall of the tire, mm-hmm. which helps the damping of the tire. Um, but right now, our production tires are all single compound in the tread. Yeah. Um, biggest difference between race spec and a customer spec? What? Where do you think that is? Uh, you know, carcass. You, yeah, carcass. If you talk to uh, a guy who's ridden race spec tires, well, Jason Thomas, we we do a lot with him, right. obviously. You know, he's ridden them both in his time. Probably stole some of Chad Reed's race tech specs, by the way. I doubt you get yeah, it to him. Yeah, I've gotten after him about that. Right, okay, see? <laughs> and uh, and so he's a guy that's like, oh, my God, the race specs are so much better. Um, are they, in your opinion, that much better, and what is the biggest difference? I think the carcass and construction is, is just a, a lot different. Um, it's firmer, but it's also a little more compliant. Um, for the average person, when they run it, they would probably think the tire was too harsh. Uh, 
but for the pro guys at, at the speeds they're going, mm-hmm. uh, they need that. Um, we actually, we've actually won races on our production tires in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Blake Baggett ran a production front almost all of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, the feels just a little bit different. Cole Seeley likes the production front instead of the race front. Mm-hmm. Um, Weston Pike, we used to run a production compound on the race carcass um, because he, he thought the the race compound was too soft. Oh, okay. Chad also ran the, the harder compound sometimes yeah. because he thought he thought the race compound had too much movement. Mm-hmm. And he liked the firmness of the production compound better on the race carcass. So um, it, it's kind of more of a rider preference, but... Yep. People have to realize, I mean, the, the top 15 guys do things to their bikes and their tires that nobody else can do. Right. You know, they, they yeah. put them under loads and situations. That, I mean, when you watch James Stewart do a scrub, <laughs> I, I mean, the tire is almost completely rolling, you know, sideways off the wheel. Yeah. He's scrubbing on the face of the jump so hard. I mean, I don't know very many guys that are going to do that except him and, and maybe Barsha and Trey Kennard. Yeah, it's one of those things that you 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 people say, ah, oh, these guys get an unfair advantage, but you got to understand what they're doing to their bikes. Like it's right. almost like I, I I had somebody on Twitter say that the guys should there should be a production rule, like where the guys have to race production bikes in Supercross, and I'm just like they would die, they would kill yeah. themselves, yeah. you know, like you can't do that. These guys are that. And good. another thing I draw a parallel to is road racing in the U.S. and and when they went to production based, you know, they didn't go with world superbike spec rules or anything and i mean mm-hmm. the factory's pulled out yeah the racing's not what it was five or six years ago and i mean yeah. as a as a as a fan taking it from a fan's perspective i want to see those guys on on not full-on works bikes but on bikes that they're able to push yeah as far as their talent and ability will take them and that's not going to be on a stone stock production bike well you know yeah and and like we talked about earlier the the race specs help develop production tires, better production right. tires. If you just yeah. had production tires, you'd, you know, you wouldn't really get any improvement. It'd be tough to. So it, yeah, it's... like a good example is Brett Metcalf because he was preparing to run the Canadian series mm-hmm. until the last minute this year. So he was practicing on all production tires because that's what we run in Canada. They don't run race spec tires in Canada. And, and Brett was like, you know what? These things, they're the best production tires I've ever had. And he goes, man, they're not that far off the race spec tires. Yeah. And, this summer we had we didn't have as many race spec fronts as we wanted, so mm-hmm. basically all the guys were practicing during the week on production thirty two fronts, and yeah. we really didn't have any complaints, and the guys were going just as fast. Yeah, um, who I know, like when I worked at KTM, Sellards, uh, and this just fits Brock's personality. Brock ran a four ninety front, even at Southwick, everywhere, um, which is super weird. And it, you guys didn't even make a 490 at that time. I think you were discontinuing it. Um, what other weird tire setups have you seen that riders have liked? Ricky was a hard pack front guy. And it's funny because this summer he was doing the, the RCU at Redbud mm-hmm. and it had rained the day before. So the track was pretty wet. So we put on a 32 front for him. And I mean, he's just going out teaching the class. I yeah. mean, he's not right. you know, hammering it. And he came in after doing, like, the warm-up, and he's like, I can't ride that front tire. I want that. He goes, what's the hard pack front tire? I said, the 52. So I brought one over and showed him. He goes, that's what I want. I said, dude, it's muddy. Ricky's like, I don't care. I want the hard pack tire on there. <laughs> I don't care if it's muddy or not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Sellers 490 was, was weird. Like, Ricky ran our, at that time, it was a 739. Mm-hmm. He ran that almost everywhere. He ran it at Southwick, too. He was the same way. He ran a hard pack front at Southwick. Did he really? But, huh? like, yeah. in the sand, a lot of guys, the faster guys, they just want the front end to float. Yep. They, don't, they don't want to catch it in all the different ruts and grooves, you know, on the high-speed straights when you're going down the backside of the, mm-hmm. the jumps and the hills. 
you know, there's, there's 20 different grooves. They want the front to float and, and not, not grab, not pull them one way or the other. Mm-hmm. They're more worried about the rear. But in the sand and the soft, a lot of the guys don't want, you know, a lot of grip. They want, the, want it to float and not fight it in the ruts and stuff so much, track through the ruts a little easier. Mm-hmm. So. So, so it really isn't that weird then. It's not. No. Yeah. So what was the weirdest setup you've ever seen? Work or what was something? Um, Would you say it's Ricky's front everywhere? The hard pack front? Yeah, I mean, just a hard pack front in a mud race would probably be it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know at Salt Lake City, uh, Dungey was a 715, which was the MX-71 mm-hmm. production tire, front tire guy in 2010 when he won the Supercross title. And uh, Salt Lake was deep and muddy and kind of gravelly, and mm-hmm. he had one on. And it started kind of snowing yeah. uh, during yep. the semis. Yep. And so we went over and was like, Ryan, you got to change the front tire. And he's like, nope, I want to run the same front tire. I don't care. You know, so I finally went to Ian and Roger, and I'm like, we got to get him on something else. So we compromised and put an intermediate on. Everybody else went full mud front. Right. And Ryan put an intermediate on at the last minute, and, and he was glad. He's, after the race, he was glad. He goes, well, I think you're right because it was just terrible in the main event. <laughs> but, I mean, we, we had to beg him, and we had to go to Roger and Ian and wow. ask them, yeah. like, can you please help us convince him to put something on? You know, he's in the title hunt. So, um, so you'll, some guys just get something they like and they want to run it everywhere, which makes my job easy. But yeah. sometimes it kind of scares you. Right. And, uh, you know, after, after the races, you're, uh, after the practice sessions, after the heat races, things like that, you're going to each of these guys. You're making the rounds in the pits and saying, hey, what do you think? What do you see? What do you find? I think we should do this or that. So, you're, you're, you know, I mean, you're a busy guy. and. Besides knowing all this stuff on top of tires, you often get to the guys as soon as they get off the bikes. You're a little bit of a psychologist too, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of try to figure out what they're thinking, and and especially at the heat races, we'll ask them how the track's coming around and how they think it's going to be for the main event. We don't always change tires, but we change change air pressure quite a bit, actually, based on what we're feeling and seeing in the heat races. Mm -hmm. So, um, as you know, there's only a couple minutes with those guys, and they got to go debrief with the team and watch videos and and rest and get ready for the main. So right. you just got a few seconds with each guy, but uh, you just kind of want to see how they're feeling and what they're, what they're experiencing on the track and the heat races so we can make sure they got an optimum set up for the main event. And sometimes things get pretty heated emotionally for whatever reason. Something happened on the track and you're sort of there and you're like, uh, yeah, excuse I mean, me. if they had a bad heat race or they crashed or they weren't yeah. comfortable or something, um, yeah, a, a lot of right. times you're going to make a change for the for the semi or for the main event, right. and you just a, a lot of it is convincing them to to go a direction that you think they should go. And most of the guys are, are really really good about taking. You know, we tell them what we think. At the end of the day, it's the rider's decision, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I just tell them what I think will be best or what direction they need to go. Right, uh, and most of the guys will go with that or think about it. And uh, uh, you know, most of them yeah. are pretty confident we're going to steer them in the right direction. Um. Mooses and Supercross in the rear. How many guys run Mooses in the rear? And Nobody in Supercross. No. We've tried it in the past a little mm-hmm. bit. Whoop um, performance is actually decent with a Moose. Yep. But just the extra weight in the, in the air, they spend so much time in the air. Uh, I mean, an extra two pounds from the Moose is, is very noticeable on the bike in the air, uh, you know, with, with the way the bike's spinning and stuff, the, with the way the wheels are spinning in the air. Um, uh, and it doesn't corner as good. Yeah, 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 really, right? But then I would say, like, if you're in a title hunt, a flat tire, as we talked about, could just throw you for a loop. But I guess tubes are pretty good nowadays, aren't they? Tube, the tube right, and there's sometimes, yeah. like, the last three or four races last year, we ran a, an ultra-thick, a super-heavy rear tube with Villapoto and Dungey, mm-hmm. uh, just 
just a little more security measure. Right. But those guys all run double rim locks, and even if the tire goes flat, they're still going to finish the race. Yeah. Because uh, it's not going to come unseated with, with two rim locks in it. Um, at Toronto a couple of years ago, the track was really, really miserable. Yeah. A lot of debris in the dirt, and we actually ran moose. Uh, there with mm-hmm. most of the top the guys that were in contention for the title we ran moose right um just because we were and i think there ended up being like five or six flats that night during the whole program not in the main event mm-hmm. but, but throughout the program and the track just had a lot of debris in it but uh the last couple of years toronto's been a little bit better but i mean we actually carry the moose on the truck in supercross if guys want to run it it's available to right. them but but most of the guys don't want the extra weight but but it is available to them um Best, who's a couple of guys, or who's a guy that stands out as a great test rider over the years? And I mean, you're, you know, since 1995, like, is there, is there a guy who just stands head and shoulders above everybody? McGrath was a really good tire tester. Was he? Yeah. Really good. Yep. Uh, Chad's a good tire tester. Um, for his setup, for his, for what he wants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, honestly, one of the worst guys, and it wasn't anything to do with his effort, was Wyndham. Mm-hmm. Because Kevin can ride anything. He could <laughs> right, ride any right, setup. Right. So he just, Kevin just never noticed a big difference between the tires because he made them all work good. Yeah. I mean, he just had that capability. Um, Villapoto's kind of that way. He didn't like testing tires. Right. And to him, different was worse. You know, he just wanted the same feel <laughs> all the time. Feel, right, yeah. Um, even on Bridgestones, he pretty much ran the same tires all the time. He, yeah. he was the same way with us. He got one tire he liked, the front and the rear, and he ran it everywhere. And, you know, he would say he knew it wasn't the best on some conditions, but he goes, I'll manage it and I'll ride around it. Um, and those guys are, are a little harder to test with because they don't have a lot of feedback. Yeah. Um, and it's just their character. It's just, I mean, it's they're still great guys, and they're yeah. obviously awesome riders. But, uh right. McGrath was probably one of the best ever. Um, Reedy's really good. Um, Kennard gives us pretty good feedback. Yeah. Um, um, do you ever work with Kyle Lewis? I've always heard Kyle was a great tester. You ever do anything with him? Kyle was almost too picky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kyle was like could split a hair in half and tell you the difference between each side of it. Right. Um, but, I mean, he was really good. Um, yeah. Red Dog? And he'd obviously Red. ridden, works Bridgestones, works Suzuki, yeah. works Hondas. I mean, he was the same on bikes as he was tires, you know. He's, mm-hmm. It was never perfect. Um, but he was really good. His feedback was really good. We do a lot with Doug Dubok still. No, Doug do still you? does a lot of testing yeah. for us yeah. on production stuff. Right. Uh, Tim Ferry. We was, have our test facility in Alabama. Tim Ferry so. was good. He was a good tester. Tim was a good tester, yeah. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good anyways. I, I yeah. remember one time I... I screwed up his fork height. I didn't put it. I, I put it one millimeter off from where we had settled with it after practice, and he noticed it. I was like, "Wow, shit! You really do know what you're talking about." So, well, I can go to the other stream on that because one time at the Honda track in Corona, uh, we were testing with somebody else, but for the sake of was there riding his practice bike, mm-hmm. and he came in and and we were checking his air pressure because he had done his mechanic had done the tires at home, mm-hmm. and they never had set the rear. It had like thirty pounds in it, <laughs> and Ernie had done like a five lap warm up and a yeah. fifteen lap you know, moto. And he's like, I'm like, how was that? Oh, it's okay. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> I got 30 pounds in the back tire. I, uh, I have to laugh at these guys who are, who are that picky and Chad's one of them. And I've had this, um, just like, they're so picky and they're so gnarly. And then you go to their houses and their practice bikes are just hammered, hammered. And you're like, Oh, so your seat foam at this particular race was, was just not quite right for your butt. But meanwhile, the, the seat foam at home is waterlogged and missing chunks of foam, but you're yeah. riding with that every week. 
Yeah. I don't know. I always have to laugh. Always well, I tell you, Larry Ward. I mean, and oh, you can here we go. Here we go with Larry Ward commercials. Yeah, and Berluti too. Right. He always swore his practice bike was better than. He'd come to the race and he's right. like, "My practice bike is better than this." <laughs> and I remember Marshall one time saying, "Dude, I'm not rebuilding your bike this week. You can erase it just like it was yeah. this week because you say your practice bike, which is." hammered you know it's got 30 hours on it right. i'm not rebuilding your bike this week you know uh i think we could do a whole podcast on larry ward and his setup yeah yeah, yeah. I, he was one of my and my wife loved him but yeah um larry was just one of those i mean he just the personality that guy was awesome and i mean he was he's one of the guys he was always like come hang out in my motor home and right. you know now guys today are a little more private they need their space and you know, I understand that, and they got a lot of people around him. But Larry yeah. was always like, at the end of the day, oh, just come hang out in the motorhome. You don't have to go. You don't have to leave yet. Just come hang right. out. You know. Yeah. Larry was great. Um, yeah, I talk to Larry every now and then. I text him. I text back and forth. He won't do one of these. He says he nobody cares and no one wants to talk about old races anymore. And then I tell him that he's wrong, and people want to hear from him, and he's just like, no, I'm, I'm I don't want to do it. And I'm just like, come yeah. on, Larry. Uh, um, and then I sent him a photo of Bradshaw. Uh, Passing him the other day, and he, he he claimed it was not it was photoshopped. It didn't it didn't happen? So, um, I mean, I'll tell you something. I mean, this is kind of that direction, but um, you know, the old schedule years ago used to be there was like a practice outdoors, especially there was a practice day on Friday, yeah, Fridays, and then yeah. tech and stuff was on Saturday, and mm-hmm. then you race on Sunday. Right. So a lot of times, like we would be at the track on Friday afternoon, and we'd get done, you know, for the day, like at three o'clock or something, with all the guys. We'd go golfing. We'd go yeah. out to eat. Yeah. You know, you really got to, you know, like Albertine, Tortelli, and, and especially Larry. Yeah. You know, I go out to eat with those guys every Friday night. Albie and I go golfing. But hey, now the schedule is so changed, compact. Yeah. You know, it's all in one day, which is great. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't feel like my relationship is as strong with the younger guys today as it was just because of the schedule and the way it is now, yeah. of, of the way it used to be, you know? I agree. Uh, I totally agree. But then again, guys like you and I get to spend more time at home. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The schedule. upside is, right. you know, I'm home Sunday, every yeah. Sunday by noon. So. Um, but, and also, too, like the entourages, right? The trainers, yeah. the man friends, the gear guys. Like, it yeah. seems like these guys are harder and harder to get to than a Larry Ward chilling in his motorhome by himself, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a, different, it's, a different, it's a different world. Yeah. And these guys, I mean, it's a lot more. I think it's not any more important than it was back then, but I think there's more pressure and there's more people around them. So it's just... Mm-hmm. You know, they're a lot more focused. It's just a lot different than it used to be. But um, it's still good this way. I still love it. Yeah, um, obviously. There's still a lot of characters out there. You know, like like Trey is just yeah. one of the most awesome people I've ever met in my life, motocross or non-motocross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, he's the most upbeat. If if you don't feel positive about life after being around Trey Kennard, man, then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> or Or you don't work with him anymore, but Shorty. Like, oh, yeah. like, like I've yet to see Trey or Andrew Short. You know, not just be the most positive, awesome guys and happy to be making a living racing motorcycles. Yeah, know? I mean, Shorty's great. I mean, we I talk about that all the time. Is like, I, I wish Honda would have kept him forever just yeah. because <laughs> everybody likes him. He's popular. It's like, yeah. maybe he's not going to win a Supercross title, but, dude, that guy, everybody likes that guy. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so, hey, um, uh, must be awesome for you to be working every weekend so close to Ross Peterson's old mechanic. It must be just incredible. It must be phenomenal. Marshall, Marshall Plum. And he tells me about how great he is every oh, weekend. Rollerball. <laughs> rollerball was my childhood hero. And uh, Marshall, of course, won a national title with, um, with Guy Cooper and, uh, and, like you said, worked with Larry Ward and Swink and all these guys. But I still remember him as Rollerball. Working yeah. for Rollerball. You know, I actually knew Marshall before I did this job. I knew him. I mean, I've been friends with Marshall longer than I've been doing this job. Yeah. Uh, 
he's been a great friend of my family. I mean, if anything ever happened to me, I mean, I know he didn't make sure my wife and kids were taken care of. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people are probably listening to this podcast don't know the guy, but I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's an awesome person. Yeah. And uh, Brock Lover, of course. Uh, don't really yeah. know Brock's title, but he's at all the races. And uh, he's senior manager. Okay, yeah. So senior. I'm manager. just manager. He's oh. senior manager. But um, I mean, working with Brock, um, he's one of the most intense people I know. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see why he's a six-time champion because of his attention to detail, and he's driven. Yeah. I mean, there's a drive inside that guy. You can see why he was a champion. I mean. Yeah, he's he's, he, he's that way now, and he's not racing. You know, you know? I, I made a I made a I wrote something about uh, Pirelli's coming in, and um, I don't know something about Pirelli's. And I saw him at Bercy, and he was really pissed that I wrote something about this. And I mean, I totally I I don't I don't uh, I stand by what I wrote. And it was really no big deal. But that's how competitive he is. That's how driven he is. Yeah. He was he yeah. was like we talked about it. It was fine. We we we. Ha- we hash it out, but he was a little cheesed off, and I'm like, really? I thought he was kind of kidding, but that's how competitive he is. That's how driven he is. I mean, he pushes really hard with with Dunlop Japan because that's where our tires are developed. I mean, mm-hmm. he pushes those guys really hard because I mean, he's, I mean, he, he still has that racer mentality of right. it's got to be better. It, it's good, but it's not the best. Right. He wants the best, and I yeah. mean, being around him all the time, you realize. I mean, you're around a lot of champions too. And I mean. Those guys have a drive that not. I have a drive to work hard. Right. Those guys have a killer instinct. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just different. Sometimes when you get and when you get to that level, it sometimes it costs you friends at that level. Not not in Brock's situation, but I mean in the rider situations. Like, yeah. They they have a focus, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, a lot of people like Ryan Villapoto has been bagged a little bit, I think, because of, he's kind of standoffish. But I mean, I've been at his his place in compound in Florida many times, and mm-hmm. and when he's there. He still puts in the effort and is laser focused, but he kind of is a little looser. But yeah. he's there to do a job, and I mean, people have to remember that. I mean, I have to remember that sometimes that these guys are here to do a job. They're putting their life on the line, you know, thirty-two, mm-hmm. thirty-four times a year. They they got a lot more to think about, you know, than than talking to me or right. talking about the weather, you know, how yeah. it is, or going golfing next week. Those guys got a lot on their plate, and they've got a lot at risk. And I think. Sometimes people take that the wrong way, especially, you know, Villapoto is the one who's been put, you know, picked out that way. But, I mean, mm-hmm. if you really get to know the guy, he's, he's, he's just really intense, and he's, he's there to do a job and do a, do a darn good job of it. Um, and he loves to shit talk when you get to know him. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, if he's not busting your balls, <clears throat> you've got to worry. That means he yeah. doesn't like you. So I can imagine the things he says to you about tires. But. Yeah, I mean, he's, funny. he's, he's opinionated, <laughs> but it, it, like, and he's, he's really got a good sense of humor. Yeah. He just, yeah. And he doesn't say it laughingly. He says it with that, you know, straight look on his <laughs> right, face. Right. You know, and you just die laughing. You know, he'll just pop. Yeah. And I know Cincerello just dies. You know, he busts Cincerello's butt all the oh, time yeah. every time I've been there, you know. Yeah, I know. No. Hey, you mentioned scrubbing earlier. Uh, what has that done for tires? What has it, Or has it done anything? Uh, it, it changed the sidewall construction a lot on the yeah. tires. It, that dynamic has, uh, for sure. Um, it just puts a lot more force on the tire that we didn't see before, sideways force on the tire. Yeah. Um, Crazy, right? we changed right? the bead design, and the apex of the bead has changed because of that. Crazy, right, what they're doing? Isn't it just insane? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're dragging, you know, they're scrubbing and dragging the foot peg off the face of a jump. Yeah. So you see, like, it, you probably see wear on, on the knobs where you never see it before. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, because they're not leaning over that far in the corner, but on the on the face of a jump, they'll mm-hmm. scrub it that hard that it's it's scrubbing the side that the the shoulder off as they go off the face of the jump. 
Um, hey, talking about the competitiveness and the, 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 the fierceness of the tire companies. So Doug Shapinsky working for Bridgestone for 100 years, now working for Pirelli. You guys are down there on the starting line t- t- making sure, seeing what the other guys are running, seeing what your guys are running. You all got your clipboards and, and taking notice. Do you talk to Doug? Are you, how, how I, I talk to Doug. And he's a really nice guy. I mean, he's obviously one of the most knowledgeable guys in the paddock. I like yep. him. Um, I think there's respect there. I respect what he does, and hopefully he respects what we do. Yep. I mean, we're both there doing a job and trying to do the best we can and win races and championships. Yeah. And uh, when you see somebody every week, I mean, you're around other goggle guys, you know, the yeah, Scott yeah. guys and 100% guys and that. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a small paddock, but, I mean, you're still there. You want to win. You want to beat the other guy, but, I mean, yeah. you don't have to hate the guy. Yeah, it's the same thing as media guys, too. I mean, I talk to the trans world guys all the time, you know. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm a racer X dude. Um, but couple- I mean, I always try to treat people how I, I expect them to be treated. Right. You know, I, I don't touch their tires. I look at them as close as I can. I get the flashlight and yep. and look at them, but I don't touch them. You know, I don't. Uh, you know, I've been around places that there's other works tires from other companies. I don't touch them. I don't take right. them. I, I mean, I hope that people treat us the same way. I mean, I just that's how professional I try to treat my job. You know. So proprietary uh, information inside your tires, I mean, could someone figure it out if they got a hold of it? It's hard to reverse engineer a okay. tire, especially yeah. the compound, um, because it changes so much from when it's mixed and produced and extruded mm-hmm. and cured. It's really hard to reverse engineer, especially a compound. Constructions, you could probably cut apart the tire and, and learn a little bit, but uh, it's you know, it would be difficult to do, but you could, I mean, you could probably get some idea of what your competitor's doing for sure. Right, right. Um, just, we try to get all ours back. I, I have several different ways that I track this stuff and log this stuff as we, yeah. we, we give it out and how we get it back. And, uh, the teams take stuff back to our warehouse when they pick up new stuff for practice. Uh, once a year, I usually go by to all the places in Florida and Texas, wherever we have guys and mm-hmm. pick up the used stuff and that and, you know, kind of try to get controlled as much as we can for sure, because there is some proprietary materials and stuff sure. in there. Right. Uh, biggest selling tire, production tire for Dunlop is 695, 752. Um, which, which tire did 490? Did you sell 8 million of those things? Which ones do you think were the most successful tires for Dunlop? MX-51. Oh, yeah? The new one? Okay. No, th- not this year. No, 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 but yeah. Not we th- just launched the one this year, but prior right. to this year. The- MX-32 is going to blow it away eventually, but not yeah. this year. But right. MX-51 was the most widely popular tire we ever had. Really? Oh, I'm surprised. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When- just the numbers have grown up. I mean, 490, 695s were really, really popular, but just the acceptance and the growth of, of the 51s. Yeah. It's just been incredible. And because it was such a versatile tire, a lot of mini bike guys ran 752s and other stuff instead of 496, 95. Right. But where with pretty much everybody from a 50 to a 450 amateur pro off road mm-hmm. guy, they all ran 51s. When did 51 come out? Probably, what, early 2000s? Early. Somewhere around there? Oh, four? Oh, four. Or, okay. oh let's see. I thought it was when I was still late later as a mechanic, but maybe not. Yeah, we ran British. I want to say 06. Okay. So, yeah. So, so not that long. Last year, so yeah. about eight years we had that tire. Yeah, not that long, and it's already <clears throat> sold so many. It's already been accepted and, and run by everybody is what you're yeah. saying. Huh. But now, the MX-32, I think, next year will will surpass the yeah. – I know at Loretta's this year, the numbers on 32 were unbelievable, the, I, the amount of 32s we right. had at that race. I, uh, I bought some um, – Nike uh, Andre Agassi shoes a while back on eBay, 
with yeah. the with the Valco straps. And uh, Paggio sent me some Oakley razor blades, which are super sweet. Um, yeah. But where I'm getting with this is, why don't you guys put out like a a, a retro 695? Just do it. Just put just put call the RJ. Yeah, they just. I'm not sure that that's we're. <laughs> is that a dumb idea? We talked about that before. Oh, you um, have? Okay, all right. We've actually talked about it before, but um, our leaders in Japan kind of like going forward. They feel like that's going backwards. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I didn't know if it was a really ridiculous idea, or you guys actually did talk about it. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you. When we we started back with James Stewart a couple of years ago, we mm-hmm. actually had a couple of race replicas that I had stashed mm-hmm. and. Uh, and James wanted to try that tire because he's like, when he was an amateur, he loved that tire, you know? Right, right. And uh, when, when we started back with him, we actually tried it, and he goes, you know what? It's not as good as I remembered it being. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a uh, couple more questions. How much longer for you? How much? What, when, do you, when does Brian Fleck get off the road? What, what's your next move? It's, when I first started this job, I told my wife, give me five years of this traveling and that, and it's just turned into, you know, 20 <laughs> years. And, um I've been with Dunlop 27. Yeah. I was hoping at 25 I could retire, but uh, I've got one kid in college, so I'm not going to be retired for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to, I, I, yeah. I'll do it as long as I can. And I mean, I've been blessed. Um, if it, people who know my wife will, will contest to this, I mean, she's the most awesome wor- woman in the world, and she puts up with my travel schedule. And, mm-hmm. and when I'm home, she makes me feel like a king and like I've never been gone. So uh, uh, I couldn't do it without her for sure. Uh, Dunlop's been great to me. Uh, they let me, you know, work out of my house when I'm home, which is a big help. Yep. So uh, if I could do it in another 27 years, I'll, I'll do it. I've gone really. You yeah, you keep going to the races. You don't mind it. It's it's no. Nope. Uh, it, it's I want to go to less. And it races. changes the the dy- dynamic changes and just it, it's neat because every four or five years there's kind of a turn turnover of riders and stuff. So mm-hmm. you know it's it, it's kind of experiencing stuff over again. You know. I want to go to less races, Brian. I don't want to go to the same amount as I get older. <laughs> you're, yeah, I, you're I, just, I don't know. I just, I just right. really love doing it, and it's uh, like I said, it, the people make it great. Um, right. You know, the young guys coming up. Like I work, I like working with Justin Bogle, mm-hmm. uh, Adam Cincerello. He's a great kid. Yeah. Well, he's young man. I'm sorry, I have a yeah. bad habit of saying kid, young man. And uh, he's really funny, you know. And just it, it kind of helps. I think. Hopefully, I hope it helps keep me young, mm-hmm. being around the young people in our sport. Yeah, Blake Baggett, I love that guy. He's just really awesome. He's really, really nice to me. Me and Blake can sit down and talk about anything, right. you know? Right. Huh. So hopefully it keeps me young. <laughs> yeah, really. What, uh, what's one thing you would change in the industry, Brian? Uh, not even in regards to tires, just or, or, or tires or whatever, but what, if you could wave yeah. a magic wand and you were in charge of things, what would you want to change? What do you think we I could would, do better? I, I would hope that the guys that aren't making all the, the money would be – you know, not everybody can win. You know, unfortunately, only one guy's going to win. Yeah. But, but there's a lot of guys putting in that same amount of effort, and especially the privateers is. I know how hard those guys struggle to make it, and yeah. you know, it'd be nice to see some of those guys make a little more money for the effort they put in, and that's what I would change if I could. I mean, yeah, we're the the rest of it. I think is great. The racing's great. We have better TV coverage than we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my friends and people that I grew up with that I don't see on a regular, they're like, hey, I saw you on TV. I watch the races every week. I go to the ones I can, but, you know, it's so cool. I can watch the races. Every, I mean, I think we're at a really good time in our sport right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, we're at a weird level where, and I've talked about this on my shows a lot, uh, Ryan Villapoto making over $5 million a year in first, who should be paid the most. The guy 15 spots behind Ryan, on the same lap as Ryan, 
or maybe if he's 15th, he's not on the same lap. But the guy, you know, five seconds off of Ryan is making 30 grand. Like, yeah. like uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, he shouldn't be making as much as Ryan Villapoto, but he shouldn't be making uh, 1% of what the top guy makes. It's a weird world yeah. we live in. Yeah. So. And I don't know how to change that. I wish I, I, wish right. I could. But um, that's the one thing I would change because, I mean, I know a lot of those guys mm-hmm. and, and – you know, the Ronnie Stewart's, the Adam Intonaps, uh, you know, Mitchell Oldenburg, those yeah. guys spend a lot of money traveling around, going to the races, right. a lot of their own money, and, you know, they're getting minimal purse money and stuff, and it's, you know, they're doing it because they love it, too. But uh, that's the thing I would change is I, yeah. I try to get a little more money to those guys. The seven deuce deuce, he's out there. Yeah, he's, he's a character. <laughs> he's one of those guys where you got to keep going to the races because you got to see what this guy says. Yeah, and he loves it. I mean, he's one of the most enthusiastic people. Oh, his I bike know. breaks, he's still happy. He's like, oh, I'm bummed I didn't, but it's, hey, I was at the race. I had a good time. You know, he's just, uh, yeah. I have him on the show every now and then as a co-host, and I'm just like, is this guy for real? Yeah. <laughs> I think he is. I think he's for real. I think those are. Yeah, he's just a great guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, Brian Fleck uh, from Dunlop, thank you for doing this, man. Thanks. I think, I think we educated some people. I think uh, we got some more information out there. I, like I said, you're, you've been a guy that's been at every race and always a friendly smile and a guy that uh, certainly behind the scenes is one of the key people working his nuts off to, uh, to doing what he loves. And uh, it's good to hear, and thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, Steve. Anytime you guys need me, give me a call. And I, I just want to tell all the people out there, hey, never hesitate to come by the truck and say hi or whatever. I mean, we love talking to the people, and, I mean, that's why we do it. That's, that's why I love this sport is the people that's in it. I mean, getting to talk to different people at every race and stuff, it's, it's fun, and it's, it's just a great experience. So and, and, I appreciate the chance. And you can go ask Marshall to give you a rollerball story. Just any, any Oh, story. my God, yes. He's got plenty of stories. Well, hopefully one is PG. Doesn't scare your yeah, kids. Yeah, ones that he can tell. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, Brian. Thanks, well, thanks for doing the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. See ya. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. I was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of 
the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The Dogger Rhyme Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years.